Hello and welcome to the Live and Love Like Jesus podcast, where we talk about pursuing the lifestyle of complete dependence on God, how to grow and multiply yourself, and how to demonstrate the good news of Jesus. I'm Adrian Gregrich, and in this episode, we're deviating from our usual deeper dive from the past week's sermon and talking about the church's role in racial reconciliation. We originally recorded this as a part of our community conversation on Facebook after the death of George Floyd and felt that in light of the most recent events surrounding the shooting of Jacob Blake, it was important to release this conversation as a part of our podcast. In this episode, Andy interviewed our lead pastor, Phil Heller, staff member Logan Miller, elder John Hayden, and local pastor Larry Rasco. Let's check out the conversation. Let's start with where we are right now. Why has this been brought to the front right now? Why are, why are we speaking about race specifically in this time, right? And we've seen incidents in the news. I mean, you almost hate, hesitate to call them just incidents, right? It doesn't sound big enough, right? But what we've seen with uh, Ahmaud Arbery in Georgia, we've seen George Floyd and Breonna Taylor in Louisville as well. We've had these incidences that have, that have brought this to the front. And, and it's caused this national discussion in a way that I, I really, I don't know that I've seen or experienced it the same way that I can recall, you know, where it's, it's been in each one of us, like in our, in my own household, like this is something that we, we've had very long and, and deep discussions about recent, just through these incidences that have come to the front. Can you guys tell me, why do you think that these specific incidences? Why is this hitting people in a different way than it has in the past? Logan, do you want to start there for us? I think that it's not necessarily, I, th- I think it really depends on, on who you are. Um, I think that right now we're seeing um, it blow up really, really big because um, I think that we've done a good job as a society at, you know, in a sense, bridging that gap between white people and black people and for a long time, um, you know, these things have been happening and the black community has, um, they've, they've been outraged over these things that's been happening. I mean, you can go back to Eric Garner, um, you know, situations like that. And, um, you know, we've, we've been hurt by the things going on, but it's been hard to, um, to really get others to speak up with us. Um, and I think that because it's happened so much, and now that is starting to happen even more, um, you got three instances that are like boom, boom, boom that happened really, really close proximity to each other. Um, I think that it's enough is enough. And I think that we're seeing that now where everybody is, for the majority, I would say, is fed up with what's going on um, and they're ready for something to happen. They're ready for change. And I think that um, because it's been on the media as much as it happened. You know, we live in a time where media coverage, you know, when something like this happens, it's going to get covered everywhere. Right. And so more people are going to see it. And because there's so much that happened within a short amount of time, I think that you're seeing more people start to speak on it and you have social media platforms where people are speaking on it. And um, I think that it's just bringing more light and more notice to it. um, Probably because of social media, I would say. Um, but I, you know, also I'd say that I, I, I know that the, the black community has been upset, um, and been speaking out against it, um, for a long time. Yeah. Phil, can, can you tell me like, 
why in in this time does it feel like I'm seeing more churches come along now and, and many different churches, churches that in, in the past may not have, have opened up and, and spoken out in, in situations like this. Why do churches now feel that it, this is the time to stand up and speak out? And what is the role of the church in addressing this? I can't speak for every church, I guess, but I definitely can look at the church that I get to serve at and just really maybe... Um, like never before, we recognize that this is the gospel. The gospel speaks to uh, reaching all people and loving all people and serving all people. And I think there's just been more of a holistic embrace of that as opposed to in the past, it just kind of being segregated between spiritual things and everything else. I think um, what we're understanding about our relationship with God is everything is spiritual. And so take an issue like this where we see people um, being taken advantage of. We receive this discord that's there. We understand that that's not how God designed it. I mean, we've talked recently just about uh, shalom. It was just that, that that's how God intended uh, the world to be when he created, uh, you know, mankind, humankind. And so he loves all people. And so that, you know, I think every person's created in God's image. And so for us as believers, as people who love God, we have to love like him. So I think that's what forces the church to get involved, or it should. Again, can't speak for every church, but I, I definitely recognize a difference. I definitely recognize the church being more vocal. That's true for uh, the congregation that, that we're part of, and I think across the board. I think I wish it would have happened sooner, wish it would have uh, not gotten to this place, but Hopefully, uh, like never before, we can work together to make a change. And John, you're you're part of the diversity and reconciliation team, right? So, uh, what is it in you? What what are you seeing that is uh, what seems to be more of an outcry across? multiple barriers, uh, uh, you know, like the outcry is not just in the black community. You, you know what I mean? Like in the past, like Logan pointed out, like these discussions have taken place, but they've taken place primarily within the black community. Right. And now th- there's a, a, a broad spectrum of people that are stepping forward, speaking out, calling out for justice, calling out for people to love one another the same way that Jesus Christ exhibited for us. What, what are you seeing, John? Yeah. You know, I echo, uh, what, what, uh, both Logan and, and Phil have already said, and you know, I, w- I was listening in to something similar to this uh, yesterday that was done by uh, uh, Dr. Mason uh, out of Epiphany uh, in uh, Philadelphia, and you know, they talked a lot about and whatever it is, whether it's the African American community or the, or the um, other communities, but I think why it seems so much more of a big deal now, even though it's always been a big deal is because we're in the middle of this pandemic and everybody's just at home and they're sitting, right? And hopefully listening, right, to God, um, but definitely sitting and on social media and it's in their face all the time and they're seeing it and they're seeing it and they're seeing it and they're overwhelmed by the pandemic and feel beaten down. And then this happens, the you know, Arbery, and then this happens in Minnesota and it's like one right after the other, right after the other. You know, it's not... Um, what I've heard a lot lately in between hashtags, right? I mean, there's usually more space in between these things happening and it's all happening at once. And one thing I've seen is it's, it's happened in different parts of the country too. So it, it, like, we can't just look at it and go, Oh, they've got problems in the deep South. Right. Or, or whatever. No, I mean, this is, 
it's the South, it's Louisville, right. it's Minnesota. And, and that's, I mean, I think that's a, a good point too, that, um, you know, what I've heard some people saying too, and you alluded to it earlier, it's not, I mean, saying incident seems cheap mm-hmm. because they're not incidents, right? I mean, it's a systemic problem that's clearly been happening you know, since the beginning of our nation. And I think that, you know, it's always been a big deal for the African-American community to, to Logan's point. Like you ask people, um, like I've always been hurt when these things happen. Uh, you know, I'm glad that you're uh, hurt now, but I think for us, it's more, I feel like it's a rising up of the priesthood of believers. Like people actually care about being disciples. And if you care about being a disciple and you look at what it means to be a disciple, it means to live in love like Jesus and live out the gospel. And you can't ignore injustice uh, if you're living out the gospel. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, this past Thursday, or actually it was Friday morning, um, Crossroads on our, on our social media, we released a statement that said uh, that as we examine the life of Jesus and strive to live and love like him, we've got to follow the example he set for us. And then there's these scriptures that are listed, that, he, that Jesus crossed cultural boundaries and treated people just as that, as people. In John 4, it talks about how he lived with humility and he literally poured himself out. He emptied himself. That's in Philippians 2. Jesus valued other people as image bearers. In John chapter 9, he ran after the one in Matthew 18 and Luke 15. Jesus was not afraid to confront darkness or afraid of people's baggage either. That was in Matthew 9 verse 12. And Jesus loved others with truth. And then we listed this prayer, and it said that this is our prayer. God, give us wisdom as we move forward in battling prejudice. God, as we love you, show us how to actively love our neighbors. Teach us to see and value others the same way you do. Give us the strength and the boldness to battle racism. Help us to be your mouthpiece as we point all of humankind to the example of love and grace that's been set by your son. Amen. So I thought um, one of the things we could do is kind of look through each of those kind of things that Jesus exhibited for us, um, starting with cultural boundaries. And I thought we could ask these questions of everybody here, and um, let's explore this a little bit. Let's start with, uh, in what ways have we missed the mark when it comes to bridging that gap between cultures and, and between races? What, what are we not understanding about one another? What is it that we don't understand about the minorities here in the, in the U.S.? Where are we missing that? Logan, let's, let's start with you, man. This is so important to me, man. I was just talking to my wife about this and, um, you know, something that has been on my heart for like the last year and a half, um, is finding a way to, to bridge the gap, um, specifically, um, between, um, the black church and the white church. And, um, you know, me being, I'm, I'm a biracial, um, man. So, you know, my, my father's uh, black, my, my mom's white and uh, I was born and raised in Terre Haute. And it's, I've seen both sides. Um, I've learned in a sense how to blend in. And, um, you know, I feel like God's been putting this conviction on my heart to, to really bridge that gap. I would say from my own personal experience, uh, where we've missed the mark is we've, we've allowed ourselves to get inside of this, like this comfort zone, um, as a Christian. And, um, sometimes it's easy to live in that comfort zone. You know what I mean? It's, it's easy to, uh, in a sense, become like a consumer Christian. And whenever our viewpoint is based on ourself, like how do I, what do I get from the church instead of what do I give through the church? 
um, I think that's one way that we've might have missed the mark is it's it's more focused on us than it is on the next person and bringing them to the church so when you live in that comfort zone it's easy to to neglect others who look different than you because you're so focused on yourself and you're so focused on people that um that look like yourself and um it, it you don't have a challenge there's no sense of challenge or urgency in that type of of christianity and i think that we've just seen that it, it's easy to live there in that comfort zone and um God is really doing something to, to shake that up. God is really doing something to challenge people's comfort zones in their Christianity to get them outside of the box um, to live and love the way that Jesus loved because Jesus, he, he wasn't scared to cross boundaries. He wasn't, uh, he wasn't scared to engage with people um, regardless of who they were. Um, and actually he, he, he engaged with the least of these, you know, the scripture says that he treats, he, 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 he wanted to go to the least of these. He chose the least of these to follow him. And uh, I think we might've gotten away from that a little bit. Absolutely. John, how about you? Yeah, I, I, I agree with, with Logan. And I, I also think that where we miss it is uh, a lot of times ignorance. And we just, uh, I mean, just speaking for white people, right? We think that we're, um, we don't have bias, that we're not racist, that we, um, that things are better for our African-American brothers and sisters than they ever have been. And we're just ignorant. And I think where we miss the mark is just listening, like allow people to share their experience and, and share the things they've gone through without any, uh, without trying to give a solution or an excuse. You know, I was talking to uh, one of our partners in Chicago the other day, Ricky, Ricky Brown, and, and he's a church planner and he secured a van from the Northwest side of uh, Chicago, which is like the rich, you know, white suburban neighborhood. And he got, he, he got the, he, he bought it. He got the keys and the guy said, we're not open tomorrow, but you can just come get it. Right. And he said, yeah, but he had to think about the fact that I'm a black guy. I'm going to drive to the white suburb, get out of, uh, you know, get out of a taxi or whatever, get into a car at a car lot where nobody's there and drive off. It's like, I can't do that. Yeah. And the, just, he said, that's just a normal day that I have to think through things like my normal life. I have to think about that. Like I don't have to think about wearing a hoodie walking down the street. I never think about it. He does. So I think we have a lot of ignorance and we need to just start listening. Right. And uh, kind of gain an awareness of how systemically uh, difficult and different the lives uh, are for our brothers and sisters. Uh, before I ask Phil, I'm going to speak with you a little longer because I, I have a question too. And that in, in our conversations in the home, uh, one of the things that's come up is, is like, are, are we qualified to speak on this? Like, as we talk about people speaking up and speaking out, you know, as, as a white, you know, middle Western suburbanite, you know, you know, like, like, there's this piece of me that says, like, should I speak up on this? Because am I qualified to? How do you answer that for people, John? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I guess the question is, what it, what is it you're speaking on? Um, I would say absolutely not. We 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 are not able to speak on 
um, the experience that Logan uh, has, right? But I also can't speak to the experience that you have, right? You're mm-hmm. different than me. Um, now, if you're asking, can we speak to what the gospel has to say about racial reconciliation and injustice? Absolutely. I mean, every single sermon that you could preach, you could talk about this. It is, I mean, live and love like Jesus. Like Logan said, Jesus lived and loved the people that nobody loved. And from, you know, the foundation of our history, that has been the picture for the African-American community. And that's what they feel. And that's what's been ingrained in them their entire lives. So we absolutely can speak up about that. And I, I think that what we do, I mean, this is just, you know, for me, just listen. I mean, I'm not someone that's like, I like to take action and do things and check things off. But there are times when you just got to sit back and listen. And there are people willing to to speak um, and people that are willing to come alongside us and help us figure these things out. And that's, that's the posture we need to have. Sure. And, and Phil, how, what do you feel? Like, what are some actions we can take? What, how can we improve on bridging that gap? you know, across cultures, between cultures? So, I mean, first of all, I agree with Logan that it's a spiritual issue. So if I was to label what he just said, it's immaturity. We're not fully maturing in our faith. And so we think it's about us. So it's consumeristic. It's, uh, we're not getting out of our comfort zone. If I think about what, what John says that, you know, it's like, we're, we're, uh, we're not listening, right? We're, we could even say we're, um, uh, there was a word I had that started with an I. It was really good. But what I was going to say is that I feel like it's an isolation problem. Like, I think we're just insulated by uh, the fact that we don't get out of our own little bubbles. Like, for me, when I saw um, the guy in, in Minneapolis being restrained that way, I mean, I can make that a faceless person that I've never met. But when I insert someone that I do know and love as a friend, in his place, then it becomes much more uh, real and much more personal. It's not some place far away. It's it's in my own life. It's people that I wouldn't want to be treated that way, uh, regardless of the color of their skin, whether they are white, whether they're black, whether they're Hispanic, regardless of any ethnicity. But when I see um, that um, man being restrained in that way and it leading to his death, I can I can place the friends that I know well in that spot. And, um, that's what stirs me up. That's, I mean, but if we don't have those type of relationships, then, you know, it can kind of be easy or just someone somewhere. And so I think uh, an action step for all of us is just to get to know each other, to branch out of our little bubbles and to reach across, um, the street, reach across the road, reach across the side of town. So uh, behind the scenes here, we are frantically trying to get uh, a friend uh, online right now, uh, Larry Rasco. And I can tell you, you know, the thing that's helped me understand and the thing that's opened my eyes the most is having friends like Larry or friends like Dom or friends like Steve or friends uh, like Logan, um, you know, friends that uh, come from all different walks of life, all different uh, sides of town, all different places. When we can relate to each other as uh, as friends and we have relationship that way, that certainly starts to change um, our heart about this in big ways. Yeah, I think too. Another uh, point that I, I wanted to make is on this question about cultural barriers, and um, I, I think what I've seen a lot is, and this is back, you know, kind of to what Logan was saying about 
um, the consumeristic mindset, but e- even we as a white suburban church, um, we have to, we create this cultural barrier by not allowing, I wouldn't say not allowing, but uh, making it more difficult for someone to come in and want to express themselves in a different way than what maybe we do. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it be worship style or whether it be, um, uh, you know, ministry style, you know, whatever those things are. But I just think about, um, you know, I've got a lot of friends in the African-American church and I will go there from time to time. I've got some buddies that preach and it's a completely different experience, right? Than what you experience at Crossroads. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, that is so much a part of the culture for them that we're creating a barrier um, for them to feel comfortable at our church just because of those kinds of things. So it's kind of that mentality of we have an idea of what church looks like. And as long as you fit into that mold, then you're welcome here. If that makes sense. That it does. So Logan, he kind of spoke to those (laughs) that that's, that's again, like an ignorance and isolation piece, right? So, so Logan, can, ignorance, <laughs> immaturity, uh, <laughs> ignorance, and isolation. There you go. Thank yeah. you. I was going to throw that out. I just thought maybe he had a little bit more studious term than ignorance. <laughs> oh, I, <did> <laughs> no. I think that, um, so, yeah, so, so Logan, you've already spoken some to immaturity, overcoming the consumerism. Can you speak to, to um, how to overcome ignorance and isolation? Yeah. Um, Best way to do that, get to know some black people. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, you know, straight up, like uh, I mentioned earlier at the very beginning that I learned how to, uh, how to blend in. Right. And, uh, and I think that's something that God is kind of pulling me away from um, because I've learned how to blend in to make it safer for me. Um, you know, but I, I've seen both sides. I, I have family members who um, are black. I have family members who are white. I've seen both cultures. Um, I've lived in it my whole life. So I'm comfortable around both, right? Now imagine if I only grew up knowing um, the black half of my family. Well, it'd be a little weird being around white people because I'm not used to that, right? Um, so it's, you gotta get to know some people. Uh, my mentor, uh, Dom Cosby, He's, he's a black man. And I can remember there were times where I went with him to Atlanta and I didn't know Atlanta culture. It's very different, very different than Evansville, (laughs) very different than Indiana period. And, uh, I remember going to some of his old friends from back in the day. Um, and you know, I was a Christian artist, so I was doing Christian hip hop and I would show them how I record a song and kind of teach them what I know about being in the studio and it was just a very different culture. And it was kind of shocking to me, even though I had been around the black culture, this is a part that I had never known. And now I know it because I've been around it. So whenever I preach the gospel or when I'm discipling people, um, if I'm discipling a student uh, from uh, Riverside, you know what I mean? I, I understand that culture. So I know how um, to uh, kind of be around them, how to speak their language, how to uh, you know, grieve with them, mourn with them, uh, be excited with them, 
it's just because I know the culture now that I've been around it. And I think the best way to attack it is to be around it, um, to not be afraid to go out of your comfort zone. Something that um, I've always been taught by Dom is to challenge myself and to never be complacent. And if I'm complacent, then I'm not growing. And I have to be able to challenge myself to get out of my own way of living and to um, engage in the lives of other people so that they can hear the gospel. Because at the end of the day, the gospel is the only thing that's going to have the power to change somebody's heart. And uh, so, yeah. Awesome. Now, now, Phil, um, I know you said that you're working with Larry to try to get him into the call, but um, how are we reaching out to black churches within the community to help bridge that cultural gap? First of all, several of our local partners are located in uh, places that are much more diverse than our where our uh, church is located, either on the west side or in Newburgh. So that's a, a really strategic thing uh, for us to um, not just kind of waltz into a certain part of this community, but to be active, to be engaged, and to serve serve the needs of all kinds of people. And so that's a, certainly a, a strategic way. Um, John represents our church planning team, and those are very intentional relationships and very strategic partnerships that are reaching in places uh, different than uh, where we find ourselves in Newburgh or on the west side. Uh, certainly, uh, I'm part of some local organizations and some informal and formal relationships that have uh, been much more diverse than, um, than this call right here, you know, and so that's uh, an important part of that. So uh, the very first weekend I preached at uh, Crossroads, uh, Larry Rasco was worshiping with us, and so uh, a friend introduced us after the service. And uh, when I when I was uh, here previously, I knew Larry by name, but had never been introduced to him. And so uh, that night started a, a neat friendship that's spanned over the the past year. And so uh, we're getting together again this week, and that's why I wanted him to be on this call tonight, just uh, because it's it's again it's about relationship, and so. Um, we're trying to serve our community. One of the things we've been praying about uh, even before COVID-19 was God help us to be a generous church. Help us to be a church that shares the blessings that you've given to us to share with anybody. And I think that's the kind of heart that I want to see our church have is that if we can help in any way, uh, regardless of the congregation, we want to move and say yes. Um, Logan, how do we, um, how do we cross that barrier and uh, still have respect for that other culture? Like, like, not that we would have less respect, but but how do we um, cross those barriers and and treat our black brothers and sisters? How do we treat them with respect as we cross that cultural barrier? Same way that you would treat um, anybody who walks into crossroads. Same way. Um, you know, it's, it's no different. I think that, um, I think it can be easy. I think that may be one thing that has caused people, um, not just white people, but I mean, anybody who's not used to a different culture, it's easy to be like, okay, I, I'm not used to this and I don't necessarily know how to go about it. So I just leave it alone. And, uh, you kind of mentioned earlier, like it's easy to feel like I'm not qualified, you know, to kind of speak on it or, to, to engage with it. And, um, the best way to do it is, you know, Jesus said how you want to be treated, treat others that same way. Um, and so I would, every time you look at somebody, you need to look at them as yourself or look at them as Jesus. And I think when you have that mindset of this person is Jesus and I have to treat them as such, 
Um, I have to treat them with uh, kindness, with uh, gentleness, you know, all the fruits of the spirit. I have to act that out um, regardless of who they are. And then just keep in mind their interests. So like, um, you know, something that I try to do, like if I'm speaking with students, uh, you know, I hate Taco Bell. I absolutely hate Taco Bell. Like I, I, I don't want, if I, if it was my choice, I'd never eat it. But so many of my guys from ECS love Taco Bell. And so what did I do when I hung out with them? We went and ate Taco Bell. You know, I, I, I may have had diarrhea for a day or two, but hey, it was worth it because I was able to hang out with them. Um, and, you know, that's, that's what it's about. It's about uh, taking the interests of others um, and learning how to um, engage with their culture and become all things to all men so that some might know the gospel. And that's, that's how I live my life is, you know, I don't golf, but I can learn how to golf so I can hang out with you and, and get to know you. Um, you know, others may know how to play bat don't may not know how to play basketball, but they can play basketball with me. That's something I love to do and they can get to know me through basketball. So it's really just, you know, relationships. That's, that's all it's about. John, how do our relationships with our church partners in other cities and other parts of the United States, how, how do they help us bridge that gap? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, the last couple of weeks, I mean, really the last five years, uh, I've been having these conversations, uh, definitely with Brandon, because he was our original um, partner. Um, so we, you know, we've continued to have dialogue around this, you know, whenever we were first, I mean, dating back to Potter's Will, when we were first approached with that, he and I started having conversations about, hey, the, you know, the white church from Newburgh has been asked to, you know, step in and, and kind of make this thing a go, you know, how do we do this the right way? Like, how do we honor this neighborhood? So, you know, those conversations have been super fruitful, um, you know, learning from them on those things. And in the last couple of weeks, I mean, he and I have talked multiple times, like, you know, one, just grieving with him, um, apologizing, um, just talking through, like, how do we respond? How do we support you? Uh, but also acknowledging that, um, you know, our African-American brothers uh, and sisters who are in ministry, they're tired, right? And, we, you know, we can't expect that they need to solve the white church's problem of how to come to the table. Um, so uh, they're being patient with us, uh, uh, you know, um, constant dialogue. He, I mean, he loves that question and he wants to help and he wants to provide some guidance, but we, we also need to, uh, you know, realize that, you know, part of what we need to do, and, and this is what I've heard from Brandon. I've heard it, um, you know, from a couple of our, other of our partners, uh, that are African-American, uh, pastors. The first step may be super simple in that we just need to apologize and call, <laughs> call out the evil that, that is out there. Um, instead of just being complacent, you know, they're super excited that we want to, you know, speak up and talk and all this, but it's also like, okay, but we've needed this for a long time. So, you know, maybe the first step is repentance, you know, from our, uh, from, you know, the, the white church. And then, you know, the next step is we can figure, like, we don't have to rely on them to explain to us, what is it like to be, you know, what's the history of the African-American church? we can go figure that out. There are books, we can read them, we can look at what happened, like we can do our part. Um, and then just, you know, uh, you know, just another example, uh, something that Brandon and their church is doing this weekend, they're doing a prayer protest. 
So they're going to walk from their church to the Brooklyn AD's office, and they're just going to pray all, all, all along the way, but in protest of the things that are happening. So peaceful protest of prayer. You know, I mean, we can do things like that and stand up and be a voice um, supporting these churches, supporting the African-American community, um, you know, helping people get jobs, you know, like back to the whole systemic issue, right? Um, so that they have been, you know, a tremendous support and it's a blessing because they bring the word, they bring the gospel and it just sheds light on all of it. Yeah. And another, like to add to that, um, one thing that definitely helps is the people that are in your life, um, that are black, reach out to them. Um, I remember, uh, just last week or a couple of days ago when it happened, um, when I found out about George Floyd, um, I was, I was working on our youth service and, and editing it and everything. And I was just so upset, so angry and I couldn't help. I just started crying. I was just, I went upstairs. I started talking to my wife and, uh, because it hits on like a personal level. And, um, I remember I wanted to, I wanted to be able to talk about it. And for a second, it felt like, okay, the only people, the first people that I texted were, they're black, you know, like I didn't off top of my mind, I didn't have anybody who was white that I was thinking, Oh, I can go talk to them about this. Um, because it's easy to forget when, when, when you live in a society where it's easy to get caught up in our own opinions, um, it's good to have opinions, but sometimes it's the wrong time to express them. And because we live in a social media, uh, you know, type of, uh, society, it's easy to speak on things first without talking to people that you actually do life with. And, um, I actually did have a friend that reached out to me and he was like, and somebody I do everyday life with, it was Ross. And, uh, he was like, and did you see what's happened? He was like, I'm so upset about this. Like, and I thanked him. I was like, bro, thank you for bringing this up because honestly I've been crying for like the last hour out of frustration. And he was like, the fact that you have to thank me for bringing this up to you is sad. And it's because we, we have to do better at, um, and I'm speaking for white people cause I'm half white too. You know, we, we got to do better at, um, being there for those who we do life with everyday life with when something like this happens, the best thing for you to do is to reach out to your friends that you love, that you actually do life with um, and be like, yo, are you all right? Like, how are you, how are you doing right now? Like, I want you to know I'm in this with you. I may not understand where you're coming from because um, you know, I haven't lived that life, but I want you to know that you're not alone and I'm with you in it. Uh, definitely like reaching out to those who you do life with and that that helps. That's a start for sure. So Logan, this is one of those things now I'm just going to get personal because, because this is one of those things where, um, gr growing up as I did, um, my friends now, and th the majority of my friends were black. Like it's, that's the neighborhood I grew up in. I grew up in Ferguson, Missouri, you know, but we did not have these conversations. Like it's some of that, I don't know if it was age or what, but, but I have not had these conversations with my friends, you know, and, um, a, a little bit with some of my family members and you sit in a unique position, man. Cause, cause like you said, you have experience 
in black community and in white community. You know, and sometimes I'm scared to ask that question. And then did you have a hesitance to bring that conversation forward with your friends of another race, you know? Yeah, I mean, it it was, I I didn't reach out to anybody to talk about it because in a sense, like, and this is where, um, this is where maybe uh, the black community can do a little bit, a little bit better is, um, you know, challenging our friends who are white to, um, you know, to hear us, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I should have, I should have reached out to some of my closest friends or white. I should have reached out and be like, bro, I'm upset about this right now. Um, but there's a part of there that I'm like, well, they're not going to understand why I'm upset or I've already seen them comment on this situation. Mm-hmm. I've already seen them, um, post about it. I've already seen them talk about it, but they haven't talked to me. And I'm talking about people that you do everyday life with people that, you know, personally. Um, and so in my mind, I'm like, well, maybe, uh, maybe there isn't anybody I can talk to other than I know that I got, I got black friends that I could go to right now and talk to about it. And we would have a good conversation about, okay, how can we make this better? Um, but I didn't feel like I had that, that, that protection, that, that, uh, security there to go to, to my white friends and be like, Yo, this is what happened, and this is how I'm feeling because um, the media and with everything going on has caused a divide, and, and it's where you know when you make moves out of wisdom and you make and you use discipline to make moves, it, you're you're a little leery of just speaking out um, out of the moment because it's easy for someone to take your words and then turn it into a different thing, or for them to come back with their opinion instead of just being there for you. And, uh, it goes back to that, that I type of view, you know, you see yourself, um, you know, people, it's easy to get caught up in, in seeing themselves and, and thinking about themselves instead of thinking about the next person and sure. when we start okay. to change our viewpoint. I think that it helps us. Yeah. And I hope you, that, that no one's hearing me say that I felt like it was another person's it was incumbent on them to come to me with their issue right, right. <laughs> like that's not where i was coming from in this i i, th- I think it's we, we have a reluctance sometimes to cross over and, and even even in these issues yeah. and then discuss these hey larry thank you so much for joining us thank you for being so persistent glad to man it's a you know there's an illustration in this uh, pr- uh being able to persevere i'm able to get on because my my son uh, one of the sons of the church who is uh, all the way from Liberia. Uh, he's, he, I, I went on a mission trip, and as a result of that mission trip, his mother uh, ended up being, was blessed with a scholarship, came to the States. I didn't know that she had a child, but later on, uh, she, she told us about him, and the Lord blessed, and he came and was blessed with a scholarship at USI, and he's married now with a family, and he has a home. He lives about 15 minutes from the church. And so when I'm struggling with IT issues, I call him, and he, <laughs> he came to my rescue. <laughs> Isn't it amazing the links God will go to to put the right people in our lives, right? <laughs> and let me, let, me, let me take it one step. Let me take it one step further. I went. I was able to go on that mission trip because I was in a prayer group with 
a mixed group of individuals. I had never done a mission trip before to Africa. And a friend of mine out of Indianapolis challenged me to go to Liberia. Uh, and his mentor, who I knew, uh, was, was doing some work in Liberia. And he said, Rasco, you need to join us in Liberia. And so I cut a deal with God. And my deal with God was I didn't want to go by myself and I didn't want to go broke. And so I was in a prayer group with uh, two guys, two, two other white guys, and I was sharing my prayer requests. And I told him the deal I cut with God. And Randy Lentz, he said, well, I, I want to commit to give you $1,000 to go. And then, of course, my church, they gave money to go. And the next week when I came back for prayer, uh, for my, he said, and my company's going to give you some money. And that never would have happened. And so I was able to go. And two people from my church, all of us had resources had more than enough resources and were able to go and be a blessing to a lot of people because of this interrace, because of this relationship with people outside of my church, outside of my denomination, because I went to this thing called Trace Dias and Promise Keepers. And uh, God used those relationships. And so I'm online with you right now as because of some fruit that happened down the road. <laughs> I've seen Trace Diaz. I've seen connections through that in other places too. So it's really neat that that uh, continues to show up here. So, so Ed, hey, we were just talking about how do we cross some of these cultural gaps. Tell me about this, like this trip to Liberia. Um, as, as you traveled into and then, uh, you know, there, there was a cultural barrier, a gap there that you had to close. What learnings do you have from crossing that cultural, cultural gap that, or that, that we could apply now in, in the situation that, that, that we're in now as we're learning to cross cultural barriers and, and to close that gap here um, in our city? One of the things we, I think that we it's it's difficult for us to really come to grips with is our arrogance uh, how arrogant we are because we we really think we are smarter than everyone else and uh but one of the things i clearly understood when i got out of my element out of the country and uh, the first place that we landed was abidjan and there were people speaking French and uh, they didn't have to speak English, but they knew English. And when when I landed in a place where folk knew English but didn't have to speak English and didn't have to tell me where the restroom was, uh, it, it was an humbling, <laughs> an humbling experience. We had people that, that these uh, people were speaking three and four different languages, not to mention dialects. And then when we finally did get to Monrovia, who had suffered dramatically from civil war and no infrastructure per se, running water and all of that kinds of things, and yet people were cooking. And I saw the genius of taking um, a broken refrigerator and turning it into an oven. And I saw the genius of taking a little comb and putting a straight razor blade and giving and giving me a haircut with a fade, 
and I saw women with perms. They had every hairdo that you had. We had in America, and and yet they didn't have running water. And so I ju- I saw the genius of people surviving in the midst of that didn't have so many of the amenities you know that we had. And so it was very humbling to you know to realize that uh, those of us who really think uh, we're you know, we've got culture. So culture, really, everyone has culture. And so culture is not defined by what kind of music you listen to or what kind of language you speak, because um, we all have culture. Our, our food, our language, our music, our faith, all of it is part of our culture. But it doesn't mean that one is better than the other. In America, of course, uh, oftentimes, we African-Americans have been embraced. We've had to enculturate. We, we know that many times to get ahead, we, we have to become more white to be accepted. And, and among our own culture, when, uh, when individuals speak uh, very proper language, when, culturally, you know, when we get back, individuals will, in slang will say, oh, you, you're talking white or you're acting white. And it's not necessarily, you know, it, because within everybody's culture, there is a there is a formal language, and then there's an informal language. So uh, you know, so there's there's this piece that we really have to learn that that within our own within our own circles, we really don't know it all. And uh, one of the greatest experiences that I've learned is that when you really get a chance to live with someone and to eat with someone and just to be with them day to day. There's a reason why people do what they do. And unfortunately, sometimes we look from the outside and try to interpret why people do what they do. And we never ask them why they do what they do. And we have the audacity to write about it as if it's truth and never really engage with them about why they do what they, what they do. And it's like the old, the old story of the woman who uh, kept cutting the ham off you know, at Thanksgiving. And uh, the, the daughter said, why do you cut the ham off? She said, I don't know. Ask grandmama. And grandma, she went to grandmama and said, why do you keep cutting the ham off? And she said, well, I keep cutting the ham off because it didn't have a big enough hand. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, <laughs> so there's a reason why people, people do what they do. And it's amazing what you can learn and enjoy and appreciate when, when, we take, when you take time to really sit down with people and uh, just appreciate, uh, you know, why they do what they do. Wow. So, Larry, one of the things that you said there that I think that we should repeat is that humility allowed you to be open to seeing the genius that was in the differences, that was the differences in this other culture. Yeah. And I, I love that because we talked earlier about how uh, Jesus was humble to the point of, emptying himself, pouring himself out, right, on the cross. Yeah. And so it's through emulating Jesus, that humility <laughs> is so key as we encounter other cultures and allowing us to see the genius in, in it. And actually, I like also like ser- searching for the reasons behind the why that people do the things they do. And, and as, as opposed to just seeing what it is, but looking deeper than looking for the, for the whys behind it. I think that's awesome. Um, 
Larry, one of the other things that you that you talked about uh, a few minutes ago was how it was your relationship um, across multiple churches here in the area and and, and stuff that, that helps you have even the opportunity to go and experience that, right? How, how can we better relate from church to church here in our community, whether it's a predominantly white church to a predominantly black church or, or whatever that looks like, you know, like um, what, what is the best way for us to practically begin to do this? You, you, you ask, uh, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a question that really needs to be asked. Um, the, okay, I'm gonna do it like this. I've, I've, I've always been taught that it's important to play nice in the sandbox. So, so I, I want to, I want to, I want to play nice in the sandbox, but here, here, here it goes. God has, and has in an unusual way, distributed resources in a way sometimes that I don't fully understand because sometimes it seems like people who need it the least seems to have the most resources. And, and, and then sometimes it seems like those who need it the most, uh, seems to have the have the have the have the have the fewest resources but but I did read this book uh the monk and the merchant and the in the in the book the monk and the merchant god did something it was it's a really interesting book there was two individuals both of them loved the lord the monk went out and served people uh did uh orphanages and all of that the merchant went out made lots of money. God blessed both of them. And every now and then they would come together. And so the, so the question was, which one was doing the most work for the Lord? And the, the merchant would bless the monk, and then the monk would do a lot of the work. So, so which one really did, you know, the most work for the kingdom? Well, the truth is they both were needed because with God, without God showing favor and the monk having make being able, I mean, the merchant being able to make the money, then he wouldn't have that to share with the monk so that the monk could do those resources, could have the resources to do the, the work that he did. But one of the things that seems to happen within ministry, within ministry, there are times where it seems that there are some ministries, it's just a question. It, it, I, I've always asked God, and I struggle with this, and I have to really be, try to keep myself sober, uh, because sometimes it seems as if for, for some ministries, it's never a question of what, what can, we, can we afford it? It's just a question of is it something good to do? Because it seems like money is never an issue. And uh, in, you see individuals, amazing facilities, amazing support for missions. And, uh, and then on the other hand, there are times where there are things you want to do and it just seems like re resources are, are, are limited. And so you think, how did, Lord, how did we get to that point where resources are not an issue? And, and, uh, and, 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 I, don't, and I don't know, but I, I've just, 
but I do know that if we're brothers and sisters, if, if God is our father, if he really is our father and we're brothers and sisters, then one of the things I think we're going to have to really learn how to do is how do we come together as brothers and sisters and engage in, in ministry in such a way and share resources to, to do ministry, effective ministry that empowers people. And I think that the more we figure out how to do that, and I'm not about, and I'm, I, you know, and I understand there's always a need for mercy, but I think empowerment is a, is a stronger, is a, is a more, I, I prefer empowerment rather than, and there's a balance. Don't get me wrong. There's a time for mercy, but I think empowerment is, is, is really, if we can empower people uh, in, 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 in ministry, um, I think that's a stronger piece because then they become strong enough to stand on their own and then they can go and empower others. So uh, the, one of the challenges is how do we come together sharing resources and talent to engage in effective ministries uh, and to, to, to really make life-changing uh, impacts in the, in, the, in the lives of people. Because to a great extent, sometimes it's, it's one of the missing in, ingredient is, is resources. So the, the day we learn to do that uh, and respect one another as brothers and sisters, and even though I may be providing the resources, I, I may not necessarily be the one controlling it. Uh, but the day, the day we do that, I think uh, we're on our way to, to really engaging at a higher level. I want to, can I respond to that? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I'm going to throw the sand out of the sandbox um, just because that's how I grow. Um, and ask you, Reverend Roscoe, I, I agree 100%. Uh, but my, my question to you then would be, you know, do you have any words of wisdom to us as a church on how to do that humbly and effectively? Because I know, you know, the history of, of the church in Evansville uh, and the kind of some of the divide between the, the white and the black church. And uh, we don't want, we wouldn't want to come in like the, you know, the white shining horse and yada, yada, yada. So um, what words of wisdom do you have for us, you know, uh, to kind of come that way humbly um, and, and meet, meet you there? Man, that's a great question because I, I came here in 1989 and I witnessed it being done the wrong way. Mm -hmm. um, uh, in 19, it was about 1990, um, and their heart was uh, was in the right place, but they they went about it the the wrong way. And uh, they were talking about reconciliation, relocation, and redistrib redistribution. And what they did was they decided what they wanted to do and what they were planning to do. They were they were going to buy the old Turner Building and create a ministry there. And the intent was to create that ministry, to do uh, ministry in the inner city. And then they had a meeting with the Minister's Alliance. And these were some old pastors. It was at the New Hope Baptist Church. And I went there and these were old guys. I remember Dr. Brown and uh, uh, woo, there were some old, old guys there. And, and it was, it was taken very, they were extremely offended and, and they were offended on several counts. On one hand, they were offended because 
the plan had already been established. And in, and in, and in, and in, and in essence, it was almost, they were, they weren't showing respect for what these churches were already doing. And so it, it uh, you know, and, 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 and so to a great extent, um, the, the, the ministry, it, 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 it went, it went on for a while, but it really struggled. It really struggled. But, but I guess the, the way to do it on one hand, we've got to, we've got to appreciate the fact there are some ministries in town and, and all of these folk are doing some really unique things. They may not be doing it at a high level, but, but it would be really great to identify to connect with the ministries to see what they are doing. And so the question is, if, if, we, we, if we find out what people are doing, then the question would be connect with the pastors and then ask them, hey, uh, you know, what kind of, what would you like to do? You know, so is there a way that you would like to scale this? And so what that shows is it shows a level of respect that we appreciate and we know uh, that you are doing ministry and God's using you to do something. And, uh, but then how can we come along or is there something that we can do to make it even better? Uh, so that, that's one of the ways. Yeah. So one of the things that we've seen here over the past few months is that there's been a little bit of an awakening in regards to even more so recognizing that the church of Evansville, right? That, that it's us working side by side with one another missionally that is of key importance. And that can also help us, Larry, it sounds like you're saying to um, cross some of that gap that we have culturally and, and form some of these relationships that we're looking to form so that this question of racism, that, that we can overcome it through some of this working together missionally. Oh, absolutely. Awesome. There was a question as I spoke with like Logan, we kind of conversed via chat earlier today and you sent me a question, and I want to make sure that we take a moment to, um, to address this and, and to talk about um, this piece. And it's interesting because it says, how can we encourage diversity among our leadership and specific, specifically develop more black leaders within Crossroads? So, Logan, this, this was something that uh, you pointed out as an important topic. So I'd like you to address this initially. And then, Phil, I'd like you to uh, to kind of join in as well within this with this answer, okay? So, Logan, if you would go ahead, man. I may not have like I don't have like a fancy way to say this. Obviously, I, I, there's what um, two there's me, and then there's um, one other person on staff at Crossroads, right? That are um, as far as on staff, and then we have um, that are African American, and then we have uh, uh, elder who is African-American, correct? Okay. Um, so like, I'll, I'll be honest, let me, I'm going to start by saying my experience. Um, I've been on staff, uh, for almost maybe six months, maybe a little bit longer than six months. Um, I don't know. It's weird. Quarantine season has got like, I don't know what day is what, but, uh, I almost like in the interview process, and this has nothing to speak towards necessarily crossroads, but in a sense, I almost was like shocked when I got the job because 
Yeah, I've always seen Crossroads as a white church, right? And I think that um, for a long time, Crossroads has has, has had this uh, this image of this big, rich, uh, white church. And um, I got friends that actually that go uh, to Nazarene. I go to. Um, I got friends that are drummers that are musicians. Um, friends like Saeed who plays the drums. Um, I got a lot of friends that are a part of the the black churches. Um, and when they heard that I worked at Crossroads, they were kind of shocked. Um, and so I think that that speaks to um, really just the 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 change of uh, not being scared to engage in culture. Um, or different cultures for Crossroads. So I think we're obviously on a great start. Um, I think that it's important to to raise more, um, to, to develop more black leaders within Crossroads because if we're going to be the church um, that is uh, going to speak on, uh, against injustice, if we're going to be the church that isn't scared to, to go into different neighborhoods and to preach the gospel, to partner with other churches, then we got to, it starts at home, right? So like to give an example, if I go out and disciple other people and, and I go out in their neighborhoods and, and I teach them life lessons and do this, but at home, I, I don't do the same thing for my kids. Well, at that point, it, it, it's a, it, it, you don't reflect it the same way. So like, if we're going to be engaging in the black communities, if we're going to, um, you know, not be afraid to, to get out of our comfort zones, to, to go talk to, um, you know, to get to know other black people, well, we got to be able to develop them within our own house. And I think that a great way to start um, is uh, obviously by going out and, and engaging with, you know, partnering with other churches, um, you know, talking with, with other black leaders in Evansville um, and coming up with a plan on how we can, you know, partner together. And then through that, we're changing the view of we're not this big white church. Instead, we're a, a church here in, in Evansville that partners with the other churches in Evansville um, to where it makes it easier for someone like me to come to Evansville. Um, that's the only reason that I, uh, or to come to Crossroads, that's the only reason I work at Crossroads now is because one, God called me to Crossroads. Um, I believe that God called me there and called me to the youth ministry. And um, on my end, I had to make sure that I was answering God's call, right? So on the church's end, um, they had to be welcoming to that. And I think that that was a success story. You know, I believe that, uh, Crossroads did a great job at receiving me. And I think that um, if it wasn't, if I didn't listen to God's call on my life, I wouldn't be at Crossroads still. Um, but because he called me and because Crossroads has been faithful to that, um, now you see someone like me who's on staff and that's just the start of things. And I think, I don't know if I answered that correctly, but that that's kind of how I'm, how I'm seeing things. It was an opinion question, man. It's the wrong answer, right? <laughs> so, Phil, um, how is Crossroads addressing this? Yeah, I mean, I think I appreciate Logan's contribution. I mean, I appreciate his heart. And uh, certainly uh, the priesthood of believers is, is colorblind in that regard, right? All of us have gifts. All of us have talents to use. However, we have to be very intentional to uh, look at the, all the people who call Evansville home. If we want to reach every person in Evansville, we want to uh, help them live a love like Jesus, 
then obviously we want to be deliberate and intentional about um, connecting with people from all backgrounds. Uh, we're not a very diverse church right now. Uh, we're not very diverse so- socioeconomically. We're not very diverse ethnically. Um, and I believe, you know, that's not quite the picture of uh, the family of God. <laughs> the family of God is has a lot of variety in, in it. And uh, I think we're working hard to ask ourselves those hard questions. And we got to wrestle with them a little bit more and determine, like, what are some ways that we can be intentional in this? I think I appreciate what Logan says. Like, the, the Church of Evansville is much bigger than Crossroads. And so first through partnerships like with Larry and with others who are here in this community, recognizing that the Church of Evansville is much bigger than uh, the congregation that we are part of. And so that's one way just to empower the Church of Evansville to be the church, whether that's within our congregation or as a whole. But uh, I'm encouraged. Um, You know, Logan's a great leader. He's really uh, setting an example for uh, people of all ages, but especially the next generation. Like, they have something to contribute. They as in anybody. And um, I really hope that that resonates with uh, people of, uh, who are black. They see Logan is like, he's a leader, he's serving, and he's, uh, he has a place in the Crossroads ministry. And that's a message I, I hope is very clear to others. Um, uh, there, there are certainly African-American leaders who are stepping up to lead, and we certainly want to continue to explore that and continue to empower uh, every person that calls Crossroads home. All right. Can I comment on that, too? Um, you know, I think, I think too, um, you know, I echo what everybody has, has said. And, and I think that it is, um, you know, of utmost importance to learn and understand culture. But I think to, to do this, um, it also has to be about, uh, you know, preaching and covering the topics that matter to everybody and that impact everybody's lives. And, you know, I, I appreciate that we took a step in that direction this weekend and not just kind of going through the motions and um, not addressing uh, some of the things that are actually, you know, going on in our nation. Um, so, you know, although we definitely, so don't, don't hear me say culture, we don't need to understand the culture or figure it out. We absolutely do. But as believers uh, living and loving like Jesus and preaching the gospel, you just, we just need to preach the gospel on all issues that the gospel intersects. And and that's everything, you know, whether it's racial reconciliation or whatever topic you're, you're covering. And, you know, there have been times in the history of our church where we have stepped up and we've spoken um, about those things. And it's, and it was liberating for the, you know, our African American brothers and sisters that were in our church. And, you know, to a point where they were inviting people because they were excited about it. And, um, you know, it ebbs and flows and, you know, we have to stand with that and it has to be consistent. Um, because if you're not going to, you know, if you're not going to intersect the things that are happening in their lives, they're going to go somewhere that it is. And we just need to love, love, live in love like Jesus and, and love our people. Absolutely. Larry, um, I'm going to ask you that question then. You know, we, we talked earlier, uh, before you joined, we talked about how Jesus was willing to confront darkness. Uh, he was willing to confront sin and darkness, and, and, he, and he loved with truth. How can we, as the church, how can we better communicate our stance towards <clears throat> injustice? Or, or how can we use our platform to help fight racial injustice specifically? Okay, okay. Here, here's, here's the real, the real truth is, 
There is absolutely nothing sexy about justice work. Justice work is one of the hardest issues to address. Uh, And when you look at what Jesus's ministry, when he, I, I tell you, when he addressed an issue as it related to justice and fairness among people, um, you know, it, it ju- it's, you know, when th- those folk, they, you know, they drug that woman to him and they were really setting him up. And uh, the letter of the law said, she deserves to be stoned. That's, that was the letter of the law. But Jesus went beyond that. And the, the truth is, that's, you're right. That's what the letter of the law says. But she's not the only one who sinned. <laughs> and so justice said that all, everybody has sinned. You know, we know what, what hers is, but, you know, but y'all's are, are still hidden. I don't know what he wrote in the ground, but we do know that everybody has left. So, so the whole idea of addressing and facing justice and fairness, there's nothing real. That's a hard thing to do, but we're compelled. We're compelled to uh, to 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 address it, and so, um, and so 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 part of that is is really clearly being intentional about one on one loving people and treating people like we would want to be treated. Loving people, treating people like we would want, you know, somebody to treat our parents or our children. And I think if we can continue to do that and show that, and clearly, there, there, people are going to make mistakes. And, and then, on the other hand, making a mistake is one thing. Being wicked is something else. Mm-hmm. And, and when, that, when that happens, uh, we can't be afraid to speak truth, to speak truth to power. And so one of the things that is happening in the climate of what we're facing now is that people are seeing this or seeing some of the things that are going on. And clearly, clearly people are now seeing what has been happening to a degree all, all along. And finally, you know, people are saying, hey, you know, come on now, you know. And so we're compelled to talk about it. We're compelled to ignore it. And I mean, we're, we're compelled to talk about it. We can't ignore it anymore. And so, but, but for the most part, hey, for the most part, People love each other and treat each other, you know, wonderfully. I mean, this does not happen every day. Injustice does not happen in most cases. But when it does, for the people of God, it's, it's, it's very important to have the courage to, to step up and to engage uh, in such a way to, to redirect it uh, in, in expressing the love of Christ. It's, it's not... You got to hold, you know, you got to take a breath sometime because sometimes you got to speak against those, I mean, to redirect those you love. Uh, and, uh, but it's, it's not, it's not, it's not always easy, but it's, uh, but it's, it's what we're, we're called to do. And, and Jesus, you know, he, he, he did it over, he did it over and over again. And those individuals who were in power, they, they struggled with it. Uh, but, but he, he, uh, he, he, you know, he clearly set the standard. And so, uh, and, and then he told us, this is how you're going to know that you're my disciples, how they, it's how they love each other. And, and so his love, uh, the love he described was always about action.
Uh, so, so it, I mean, so we, that, that's, that's gotta be a lifestyle that, that we do uh, each and every day. Uh, so. That's awesome. You know, um, before we go, I thought it'd be a good idea to kind of look back through kind of the notes from the evening and um, talk through what we, what we've said real quick and then uh, give you all a chance to kind of close out. All right. So um, man, we started off. So, so we've, we've talked about the importance of repenting of immaturity and of ignorance and isolation. We've talked about seeking out relationships, um, you know, starting with the people in our own circles, creating the, looking for those, those relationships and, and developing deeper friendships there so that we can understand others in ways that we may not have before, right? Um, Larry brought out that uh, humility allows us to see genius in other cultures. I thought that was, that was really cool. Um, he also talked about how uh, it's doing like creating partnerships with other churches, other ministries and working side by side missionally. It will, will also help us cross some of those, um, some of that gap between cultures and, and learn to, to, to value those, that genius that he spoke of in others. Um, we talked about also, well, consumerism, that was part of what, as we spoke about that immaturity, the ignorance and the isolation, right? We talked about how the church body is more than just, Crossroads Christian Church. And when we think of the church body, we're thinking of the big C church of Evansville, right? Or, or even larger than that, the church of the church of Christ of Christianity as a, as a whole that, um, you know, I I keep thinking back to one of my favorite scriptures, how the the church, um, is supported by every ligament and, and that, uh, that it, it grows and builds up in love. Right. And, um, I think of that often as just within our church. Like I think like the little C church and I think like, Oh yeah, it's all these people working together to, to grow and build up this, this thing in, in the, the body of Christ. And, and it's, it's just bigger than that. And, and I, and I personally have to repent of thinking small and, and thinking bigger when it comes to that, that it, that it can be churches as members of that body, like small C churches growing into this larger thing. Now I'm thinking like power Rangers, like when they built the Zords, you know, <laughs> they came together to build this, this bigger piece. Right. Um, and, and then it could truly overcome anything. Right. All right. So there's a power Rangers sermon in there. Um, uh, we talked about loving people and treating them like we would like to be treated. And then you even said, or like you would like to see them treat your kids. That's pretty strong, man. <laughs> That's good. Um, we talked about um, resources for just a moment. And, and while um, I, I, I can't remember, I think it was John that mentioned a little bit about some resources that we could go to because he said, you know, it's not incumbent on um, one culture to, to teach another about all of it, all of its things. You know, we have resources too that we can go to and then learn more so that, so that when we do start to cross that cultural gap is that, that we can have knowledge going in. Right. Um, and I'll tell you that uh, Darla is our communications director and she is putting together a list of resources that she's gathering as she's speaking with people um, to, uh, to put that together. And we'll post that on the website. We'll link to it through social here this week, but uh, that's, something that we are working on as well. So that's, we've covered a lot of, 
a, a lot of crowd in this in this tonight. But um, I thought before we go, I just give each one of you a, a chance. We'll end with Phil so that he can close out, pray us out. All right. But um, let's let's start with uh, John. We'll go John, Logan, Larry, and and uh, and uh, Phil. Okay, I almost forgot your name, Phil. It's a good thing it's on the screen there on Zoom. So, all right, John, you go right ahead, man. What do you have to close us out? Yeah, I mean, I think what I would just reinforce is that uh, we need to uh, be quick to listen because um, there's just so much that we don't know. And, you know, we throw around that term ignorance um, and <clears throat> we just need to, um, you know, bring different people to the table and, and just listen to the stories to, to get an understanding because I think there's just a lot of people who are, um, don't see what's really happening and what's been happening. It's not just, you know, what's happened over the last month and all this craziness. It's, it's been happening, um, in, in many people's lives every single day. You know, we, we think about injustices, uh, you know, somebody losing their life, which is, is a huge injustice, but there are just daily injustices. People don't get a job. People can't get a loan. People can't, you know, they can't walk down the street without the cop stopping them to see what they're doing. I mean, just little bitty things that because of the color of their skin, they have to live differently. And we need to be aware of that. We need to uh, engage in those conversations. Uh, we need to be um, uh, sorry and we need to uh, apologize for our lack of um, awareness. And we need to just preach the gospel into those situations because that's, that's what it's there for. Uh, and just live in love like Jesus. Absolutely. Thanks, John. Logan? My, my encouragement is don't allow being white disqualify you from speaking out. Um, I look at it like this, like I come from, um, you know, my, my kind of my story is, is I, I was considered like a failure child. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I dropped out of high school. Um, I had to get my GED later on in life. Um, I made a lot of bad choices back in my life and someone could look at me and say, Oh, he's not qualified to do what he's doing now. You know, he's not qualified to, to teach somebody, uh, especially a student. He's not qualified to teach a student uh, about Jesus because he didn't even finish school himself. And I could tell myself that, or I could allow God to work. And I want to encourage um, everybody, like don't allow something to disqualify you from speaking into somebody's life and, and speaking up for somebody that you see who is um, dealing with um, injustice. And um, just, because, just because you are white doesn't mean that you can't speak out for the black community. You may not understand to the fullest extent of what they're going through um, or uh, you may not grieve in the same way, which I still think that you should, you know, because we are all people. Um, but you may not because of a lack of understanding, but don't allow that to disqualify you because that has kept a lot of white people silent for a very long time. There was a lot of people back in the sixties and I'm, I'm young, so I don't know from personal experience, but I know from studying, um, there's a lot of white people back in the sixties who were against racism but they didn't speak out against it. Why? Well, for one fear, fear of their peers, um, fear of man. Um, you know, the people that they are around 
were probably racist. And if they were to speak out against it, well, now you're not looked at as the same as those who were speaking out against it, which were the primarily the black people. And so don't allow things to disqualify you, but instead lean in to, um, to the spirit of God, follow how he's leading. And I believe that God is not a God of confusion and he will give you the wisdom. His word says that, um, he gives generously the wisdom to those who ask. And if you, if you knock, the door will be open. If you ask, you will receive. So continue to come to the Lord, ask him for wisdom, ask him how to, um, how to attack this issue and then be willing to go. Awesome, man. You know, I can tell you that I have felt just stupid in this. I felt ignorant in this, uh, especially recently, because uh, growing up, I thought that the civil rights civil rights movements of the of the sixties, I, I thought that was it. Like, <laughs> I thought it was taken care of, man. I, and just total complete ignorance. Didn't realize that um, it was it was still something that we're dealing with today. And do we think it's a something that we will ever overcome? Will we ever overcome this divide? You know, um, and gosh, you know, I don't, I don't know that, that we'll overcome it as we're here on earth. I would like to think that we, that we grow and that we, and that we, and, and that we continue to, to battle this divide and that, and that we bring it closer and closer. And I would love to see it, love to see it in, in my lifetime. Larry, what, what do you have for us, man? Listen, I'm, I'm so thankful for, um, for this opportunity, you know, I'm going to tell you, um, one of the things I want to express to you guys, I'm totally convinced one of the most important words in the, in the world is relationships. I read this book, Concentric Circles of Concern. One of the most important words I've got is relationships. Sometimes when God brings a person in our lives, we don't know if he's bringing that person in our life because that person's going to bless us or we're going to bless that person or together we're going to bless someone else. Um, I mentor a young man who is a member of Crossroads. He, I, I met him at a Starbucks. I saw him um, standing and uh, had no intention of really engaging with him. I saw him talking to someone at a car, and I was finishing up a phone call. He was in front of me in line and uh, he made his order and then he turned around and said, and whatever this gentleman wants. And that started our relationship. We started talking that day and um, we engaged in a relationship. He was looking for someone uh, to, as a father figure, as a mentor. And as a, and, and we engaged at that point, he had been called on to share a tremendous responsibility uh, in, with uh, at, at the church, and I prayed with him as he walked through that responsibility. And he invited me to come. I'd been to Crossroads before, but I, I, I visited with him a number of times, and I went to, to Bible study with him. And uh, one of the Bible studies I went to was um, um, Men's Fraternity. And I thought that that was just the name of a Bible study. And, uh, but then when the men's fraternity curriculum started, I saw, you know, that, that whole curriculum. Wow. Was that rich. And I tell you, I, I absolutely love, and I went back to that men's fraternity. He, he hadn't came back, but I kept going. And then the, the <laughs> pandemic hit 
But as I was going, there was, I mean, I'm talking, I mean, I've been married 30 some, 30 some years, but there was so much that I learned from it. And, and, that, and, and when I looked around the room and I saw some young guys that were newly married, I saw some older guys, and all of us were on the edge of our seats because we, we knew that we didn't quite get it and we needed some help if we were going to continue to win. We had to die in order to live. And in those kind of resources, I would have never been exposed to those kind of resources if I wasn't willing to step outside Thursday morning at six o'clock, you know, <laughs> you know, but, but there's a, there's a blessing when you're real, when you're real intentional. And so uh, that's a material that I'm going to use now. I'm going to dip it in Baptist chocolate, mm-hmm. but but that's but but that's but that's some you know but that's some awesome awesome material that that everybody needs and so and so there's a tremendous blessing in sharing. We may not all do it the same way. We may not sing it the same way. But we are cheating ourselves. We are absolutely cheating ourselves. Satan is getting a victory if we are intentional about sharing our talent and the personalities that God has given us uh, as we love each other and as we serve him, because there are people that, that need to be one. And we really exist, not for our own benefit, but we exist for those who have yet to be one. And that's why we can't be afraid to love each other and unite with each other, because we've got to come together, not for each other, but for the sake of those who have yet become a part of the kingdom. And so this has been a great thing. And I love you guys. And I thank you for the courage of being transparent. And thank you for the courage of just not being afraid to tackle the tough issues. Larry, man, uh, you know, I've sat with you a couple of times in men's fraternity. We've both felt that pain of 6 a.m., right? (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, man, just... I can't tell you how much I enjoyed talking to you. There's one time in particular that we sat at that table and spoke for quite a while. And, and man, you just spoke into me. So man, so brilliantly. And I just, man, I really appreciate that from you, man. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate you taking the time to meet with us tonight like this as well. And like I said, at the very beginning of when you joined us, just being so persistent (laughs) to push through, you know, um, and yet again, it, as you were speaking, you said, you know, it, it's just taking sometimes these little steps, what feels like such a little step, just talking to somebody in a coffee shop, and then it has this eternal impact, you know, yeah. uh, that's, yeah. that's so cool. Yeah. Yep. Love it. Phil. All right, Phil, you get to wrap it up and then pray us out, man. Well, i I would uh, take Larry's words and just feel like I've been on the uh, benefiting side of, of he and I's relationship. I definitely found in him just a source of wisdom, source of friendship and uh, partnership. And, uh, you know, earlier he was just talking about uh, those that have been blessed should bless others. And that's how Larry lives. I have uh, seen the fruit of his work in this community and in the people's lives that I know personally. And, uh, just that uh, he's a man of his word and he's a man who actually lives what he talks. And uh, that's uh, certainly something I respect about him. And, you know, I think that's what it comes down to. We can sit on this zoom call for a couple hours and talk about all these great ideas, but it really comes down to when we say goodbye, are we going to act any differently? Are we going to live any differently? You know, 
uh, we can gather in uh, under under roofs uh, all throughout this community and sing our hearts out and study God's word. But it really comes down to are we going to live it? Is it going to make a difference in our life? And I think you know that applies to every context and every circumstance, every situation, and it applies to this one right here. If we're uh, just going to read some books and talk about it all day long, I, I don't know that there's going to see much change. But if we actually live differently, if we actually live and love like Jesus, I think that that has the potential to change uh, his church and, and this community and, and the world that we live in. That's why we believe he's given us those marching orders. So it's not new to us. It's not our little uh, tricky way to say what we're about as a church. It's really just trying to uh, fulfill uh, why we were created. So uh, certainly I thank each of you guys for jumping on here tonight and I uh, just pray that there's a ripple effect because of this conversation. And uh, we want to hear uh, more stories in the news about uh, racial tension and racial divide and uh, violence, uh, senseless violence. I hope that we start hearing stories about how uh, we've changed and how things are different today and, and how they'll be different in the future. That's what I'm interested in being part of for sure. I really yeah. believe I said to Larry this week, like if we can't do it with God's help, then there really isn't much hope for anybody else figuring it out. So um, the spirit of the Lord is in us and uh, he will give us the wisdom we need. He'll give us the power we need. He'll give us the, the humility that we need to um, make a difference. And I'm excited to be part of that. Absolutely. Some things we don't want to wait to heaven to see, right? I don't want to wait to to heaven to see racial reconciliation and to see us all standing together, you know? Um, yeah, that's good. Yep. I Pray us out, Phil. Thank you, everybody, for tonight. Usually I text everybody afterwards and thank them for, for joining us and, and, and just let them know that, man, I love the conversation. I won't have that opportunity tonight because I don't have everybody's contact information. Phil does. So, uh, just thank you so much for joining us tonight and for being vulnerable, um, in so many ways, you know, tonight and, um, you know, throughout, I appreciate it. Thank you. God, we love you. And, uh, you're a God who loves us so unconditionally. My prayer is that we would, um, emulate that love, uh, for each other. God, regardless of uh, the color of skin, regardless of the gender, regardless of where we live, God, regardless of uh, any any adjective or di disclaimer we would try to put on that, God, that we would remove those labels, we'd remove those lines, and we would just love uh, like your son, Jesus. God, I thank you for uh, Larry, and I pray that you would bless he and Trudy. I pray that you would bless their children. God, I pray you would bless the ministry of Nazarene. God, I pray that you would continue to give him wisdom. God, I pray that you would provide every resource he needs to continue to live out the vision and the and the calling that you've placed on his life. God, put a hedge of protection around him, and I pray that our friendship would bear fruit fruit for your kingdom and and a fruit for this community. God, I thank you for Logan. Thank you for the um, just maturity and the wisdom and the creativity, all the gifts that you've given him. And God, I pray right now you would bless he and Jackie as they get ready to welcome a new baby to their family tomorrow. I pray that Brielle would just be healthy. God, I pray that she would just make a sweet arrival to this world and that Jackie would be healthy as well. And uh, just strengthen her. God, thanks for John. Thanks for his courage just to lead in this area, to uh, learn and to grow and to humble himself just to be a servant for your kingdom. And when that's taken him all kinds of places around this country, Lord, and I thank you for the fruit of his work. I pray that you would continue to, to lead him and guide him. God, thanks for Andy and his 
uh, just leading this conversation tonight. And God, I pray that everybody listening, those who have been with us uh, for the past uh, two hours and those who will uh, join at some uh, point in the future, God, that all of us would um, allow your word and your spirit to just reign freely in our life and uh, to take control. And, and the outcome of that, God, would be uh, relationships that honor you and relationships that build your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And I pray that through the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Live and Love Like Jesus podcast. For previous episodes and resources, visit cccgo.com slash podcasts. We hope this episode has challenged and encouraged you to go be the church and live in love like Jesus. Jesus.